What a blessing. What a way to start a year. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. And what a privilege for me and for May Ellen to, to be joining you in, in worship, in service, in leadership, in whatever aspect he chooses to use us in the next several years. We feel that it is a privilege, an honor, and um, after 44 and a half years in ministry to, to settle back in to a local congregation and enjoy the familiness that, uh, that it brings to worship together, to laugh together, to cry together, to share each other's burdens, to live in a kingdom of grace. Bow your heads with me. Lord, make me a nail upon the wall, fastened securely in its place. And from this thing so common and so small, hang a bright picture of your face. Amen. I'm going to take you in a journey. We're going to go through uh, four scenes that we find in the Gospels and in the ministry of Jesus. The first scene we find in Matthew chapter 3. And um, if you have your Bibles or your electronic Bibles, uh, you notice uh, I'm not turning pages here because recently as my eyesight has gotten a little worse, um, I haven't been able to increase the font in my paper Bible. But I can do it in this. The, the only problem with this one is that you have to plug it in. So let's go. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. We're going to talk about the story. We're going to try to live the story. And here we are in the Jordan Valley... And as we approach, uh, we see the mountains around us, and, uh, and there's a crowd of people surrounding John the Baptist. And um, he's preaching. And we, we hear him. We hear the echo off of the mountains uh, of him just, just with loud voice saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. As we look at the people who are surrounding him, they're paying close attention. M many of them are, are, are repenting of their sins uh, and they're, they're coming forward for baptism there in the Jordan River. J John is, is a bit of a strange fellow. He, he's, he's wearing... He was wearing clothing made of camel hair, uh, a leather belt around his waist, and we're, we're told that, uh, that he eats uh, locust and honey, his mainstay. At least it's sweet. 
As we look, we, we notice that there's a, a group of, of, in contrast, very well-dressed men. They're Pharisees and they're, they're Sadducees, and they're coming out where, where John the Baptist is, is baptizing people, and he has scorn towards them. He scorns their presence. He sees them as hypocrites. And, uh, and he says to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe, he says, is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown in the fire. This is the predecessor. He's announcing the one who will come. He says, and we hear him saying, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And catch this, he says, his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. John the Baptist is preaching the kingdom of glory in anticipation of Jesus' ministry in Galilee, and in Judea. Scene number two. Go with me to Mark chapter 5, verse 21 and following. Mark chapter 5. And here again, Jesus is surrounded. Like John the Baptist was, he's surrounded by crowds of people. He attracts them. And the crowds are noisily surrounding Jesus, and, and, and he's just returned from Decapolis, this Gentile region across the lake of Galilee. And uh, the crowd uh, is, is pressing around Jesus. But suddenly, little whispers and commotion takes place on the outer edge of that crowd. And, and the man who is well known by all of them, his name is Jairus, comes in in a, an attitude of humility. The, 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 the people in, in reverence move and part the way. And Jairus, Jairus uh, the ruler of the synagogue, comes and he, he pleads with Jesus. My little daughter is dying. Would you come and heal her? Jesus, of course, is used to interruptions. His entire ministry is about interruptions. If you notice as you read through the gospel, it's one interruption after another. 
Jesus is heading this way and, and, and interruptions keep him from doing it and miracles take place. And wonderful things happen and people's lives are changed. And so Jesus says, of course. And as, as Jesus starts moving a little quicker, the crowd presses a little closer. They want to talk to him. And as they're moving along, this crowd of people, this, this mass of humanity moving along the path, they are surprised by another interruption. For you see, there was a, a woman who had been plotting to somehow figure out where she could sit so that this crowd will go right around her and she might be able to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. For you see, she was desperate. For 12 years, she had uh, an issue of blood. And according to Jewish law, that issue of, love, of, of blood made it impossible for her to, to leave her, her living compound. She couldn't go to synagogue or to the temple in Jerusalem. She couldn't, she, she, she certainly couldn't be out in public She hasn't been to church for 12 years, yet she has heard about this healer, this Jesus. And in, in terror of being found out, she, she hides, places herself just in the right place, and as Jesus goes by, not wanting to make him unclean, because she's not supposed to touch a woman, uh, 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 another man, um, a man with, uh, with that issue of blood on her. She's unclean. She touches the hem of his garment and is healed. But as you know and as you've heard the story, Jesus looks and he, um, he says, somebody touched me and everybody thinks it's a joke. And the crowd spreads when Jesus is looking for this woman. Now, what's her name? Uh, it's not there. She doesn't have a name. We'll call her Nameless Woman. And as Jesus starts paying attention to this, to this woman, and people are looking on, he squats down to talk to her, she is fearful, she's embarrassed, but the scripture tells us that she, she told him everything. <laughs> I don't know how it's with you, but when you go visit somebody who is sick and has been sick for a long time and you ask them uh, and they decide to tell, them, tell you everything, <laughs> that, that could take a while. And so Jesus is talking to this lady. He tells her, your faith has made you whole. He, he just lets her know that she did the right thing. 
that she is healed now. And as he listens to her, Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, the man with the name, is pacing back and forth and wringing his hands. And he gets the message that his daughter has died. Don't trouble the master. And Jesus turns to him and he says, uh, don't be afraid. Have faith. Remember, he just told the woman, nameless woman, your faith has made you whole. Only have faith. And after he finishes talking with her, the crowd moves on. And by God's grace, a greater miracle can be performed. The raising of a 12-year-old girl from death. Let's go to scene. That's, by the way, that's social justice in action. And part of God's grace and the kingdom of grace is social justice justice. Now, go with me to the third of these scenes. It's found in Luke chapter 19. There in Luke chapter 19, starting with verse 1, we meet a character that you met way back in Cradle Row. Um, beginners, uh, we keep changing names like that. Zacchaeus, you know the story. Do you know the song? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up into a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up to the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm coming to your house today, for I'm coming to your house today. Zacchaeus, a little guy, a despised guy. He worked for the enemy. He, he, he collected taxes for Rome, and he was, he, he was suspected, at least, to be skimming off the top. He was always well-dressed and always, because he was a short fellow, a little bit abrasive. People didn't like him. But, but he wanted to meet Jesus. And the crowd that was around Jesus wouldn't let him in. And I can imagine, you can see him, he's on the outside of the crowd, he's asking people, please. And they look at him and they just disdain him. And he jumps up, but he can't even get past the shoulders of the, of the people who are surrounding Jesus. And so he finds a sycamore tree with branches that are low enough for him to climb, and the kids are laughing. Uh, 
at this well-dressed man climbing a tree. And Jesus, Jesus looks for him in the tree. He says, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to go to your house today. And Zacchaeus repents, finds ways and, and describes ways in which he will make up for the wrongs that he has done. And salvation has gone into his home. Scene number four. Matthew 11. Move with me to Matthew 11. Jesus is teaching and preaching in the cities of Galilee. John the Baptist is in prison. He has been hearing what Jesus is doing on the streets of Galilee. He has heard that some of the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law are upset with Jesus because he welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so John the Baptist sends a message with his disciples. Are you the one or shall we wait for another? Jesus replies, and catch this, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. You see, John expected Jesus to bring judgment and condemnation on the evil in the world and immediately usher in the kingdom of glory. He found it hard to see how Jesus' teaching, his healing, his gracious miracles, his hanging around street corners, talking to despicable people, was really going to accomplish this. Yet, it's, it's evident that Jesus preached the kingdom of heaven, that he preached about the kingdom of glory, but notice that any time that he did, he was taking kingdom values from the kingdom of glory and applying them to kingdom living in the kingdom of grace. And that's what was unrecognizable about his ministry. He chose to stay with the people, to minister to the people, to, to give comfort to the sick and healing to those sick people. He would go into villages, and, and when he left, not a single one was sick. When he talked about the kingdom, he said things like you would find in, in Matthew 5, uh, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In um, Matthew 13, there's a series of these, starting with verses 24 and 25. 
You know, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in the field. You go to verse 31, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Uh, verse 33, um, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in large amount of flour until it worked itself through it all. Uh, Verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in the field. When a man found it, he hid it again and then in, to, in his joy went and sold all that he had to get it. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is like this, the kingdom of heaven is like that. Why? Why would he be emphasizing that? So that the kingdom of grace could be lived within the values of the kingdom of glory. In his prayer that he was teaching his disciples during the Sermon on the Mount, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This prayer is in the present tense and in the forever tense. Kingdom values much, must happen now before the second coming of Christ. And, and these kingdom values will continue to be lived out within the kingdom of glory. And while we wait for his coming, his church must position itself to foster heaven on earth now. In the Great Controversy, pages 347 and 348, Ellen White portrays the kingdom of heaven in two parts, the kingdom of grace and the kingdom of glory, because the end is not yet, and we still await the kingdom of glory. We must arise and shine now and concern ourselves with kingdom living and action that shares God's love and his grace. You see, the social action that this church does and will increase in its doing is a living witness to our soon returning Lord. And when we take a stand for justice, when we take a stand for compassion, when we take a stand for healing, we demonstrate the values of this coming kingdom. A lady by the name of Patricia in southern Africa who demonstrates the coming kingdom values as she lovingly cares for 20 children who have contracted AIDS or have lost their parents to AIDS. She does this in her home. And when asked why she did it, she replied, I want them to have a little bit of the second coming now. I saw this advertisement on the side of a plumber's van in South Africa. Quote, this is right on the side of the van. There is no place too deep, too dark, or too dirty for us to handle. By God's grace, there will be no place in the Spencerville area too deep, 
too dark or too dirty for us to be willing to love, to heal, to show compassion and bring a kingdom of grace. As Adventists, we preach the second coming of Christ, and we continue to preach it, and we joyfully preach it. But why would they believe us in our joy for the kingdom of heaven if we do not have joy in creating a kingdom of grace? Well, we preach and anticipate the second coming of Christ. Let us create a kingdom of grace wherever we are in anticipation of the blessed hope. In our scripture reading, in Titus 2, verses 11 to 14, I'll remind you again that for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, doing what? Eager to do what is good. God is calling you to receive his grace and allow the grace to flow through you to have you become channels of grace. Every believer, a minister of grace. J. Hudson Taylor, famous missionary to China. Uh, he developed the China Inland Mission. He worked there for 50 years. He was a busy man as a missionary. And he wrote this. It does not matter where he places me or how. That is rather for him to consider than for me. For the easiest positions, he, we must, he must have grace. And in the most difficult, his grace is sufficient. So if God places me in great perplexity, must he not give me much grace and guidance? In positions of great difficulty, much grace? In circumstances of, good, uh, of great pressure, and trial, much strength. As to work, mine was never so plentiful, so responsible, or so difficult. But the weight and strain are all gone. His resources are mine because he is mine. I'm going to close my sermon today with an appeal in song, a message that helps you to realize that this very important work may be a struggle. It may be difficult. It may tire us. 
but he gives more grace when the burdens grow greater. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. His love has no limit, his grace has no measure, his power has no boundaries known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed and the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. His love has no limit, His grace has no measure, His power has no boundaries known unto For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth I pray for God to empower me to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life in his present age while I wait for the blessed hope. If you pull out your little card, there is a little box where we, as the pastoral staff, after a sermon, challenge you. That's the first one. And I'd like for you to consider your commitment. The second one, I would like to be part of a plan to create a kingdom of grace ministry that positively impacts the community around my church. And the third one, I choose to memorize Romans 5 verses 1 and 2. Consider those as you meditate as we sing our closing hymn. And, um, and um, please um, consider your part in this kingdom of grace. Amen.